Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. This week it's Natalie Portman in Mr. Megorium's Nihilation Emporium. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Ariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas Mariani, and welcome to my magical toy store that I don't pay taxes on! <sighs> and I am Adam Thomas, and I so wish some crazed demon bear would eat you. <laughs> oh dear, that would be awful! Oh, that's super! Look, I wish. (laughs) Oh, man, do I ever. Oh, God, do I ever. (laughs) Well, we'll talk more about that here, but uh, welcome, everybody, to the Double-Edged Double Bill, where basically, if you're new, Adam and I each week talk about a good and a bad feature we pick at the end of the previous episode related to a certain topic, and uh, the topic for this week is an actress, uh, specifically Miss Natalie Portman, in uh, honor of her uh, returning to the Marvel Universe of sorts with uh, Thor Love and Thunder, uh, which I'm glad she got that paycheck because uh, those early reviews don't sound great. Really? Ooh, no. I haven't read any. Oh no, not great. Um, I mean, to be fair, like I'm, I've been kind of outs on the Marvel thing in general the last couple movies. But mm-hmm. the moment I saw the one trailer where they have like the big giant goats and they're doing like the goat scream thing from the internet meme, yeah. I was like, oh, oh no. Like, the most devastating thing I heard was a tweet from someone who saw it early who said, it's a Minions movie for adults who don't feel brazen enough to admit they like Minions movies, basically. Oh, God. (laughs) That sounds terrible. Jesus. (laughs) Well, it'll still probably make a solid amount of money. Who knows? Oh, it's it's gonna make a fortune. Are you kidding me? Yeah. But uh, we decided to devote this particular episode to Miss Portman, who's somebody who we've wanted to do an episode on for quite a bit. Um, what do you like about her as an actress, Adam? I just like her versatility, man. Like, she could play anything. Like, you got to figure, even in the two films we're talking about tonight, there's such drastic differences, you know, between, like, sort of family-friendly and the pixie-ish girl to just, like, this fucking hardened, wounded badass. I mean, she can do really at all. I mean, she really, really can. Yeah, and she's obviously been uh, doing it for quite a while, considering she was a child actress originally, uh, as far back as, like, Leon the Professional. Uh, uh, Leon the Professional. Yeah, that's a movie where I rewatched that in the last year. It's definitely one of those where I thought it was so cool in high school, and then I go back to it, particularly considering Luke Besson's uh, history, when you find out his basis for that movie. I'm like, woof. Woof. Uh, but nothing on her necessarily as an actress. No, I think, no. Man, I, would that probably be your introduction or like Heat? Maybe when she popped up in that? Definitely Leon, for sure. Okay, yeah, because, I mean, for me, considering I'm younger, it was definitely the Star Wars prequels. Uh, I, I still remember having, like, initially seeing her in Phantom Menace and being like, oh, whatever. It's probably going to be uh, Anakin's, like, girlfriend later, I guess. And then by Attack of the Clones, uh, she kind of became a first crush, shockingly. With, uh, in that movie, the midriff and all that. Um, oh, of she, course. Yeah, which is definitely sort of an early crush for me. Uh, but um, what what I like about her in terms of her overall career is uh, she likes to make choices. I don't think 
every time it's the best choice necessarily. But even when like she is quote unquote boring in certain movies, she doesn't necessarily feel like she's not making a distinct choice. Like regardless of how bored she could be, particularly like in episode one when she's playing like Queen Amidala in the full makeup, even her monotone is distinctive. Yeah, or like when she's bored in Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. she's just really like as we'll talk about, she has a lot of like the laugh. That she oh, tends to do, like so bad. We'll, we'll talk more about that in a bit. But uh, yeah, you you also feel that like she at least doesn't even in like her less performances. It's not like she isn't giving it her all. Yeah, she's. I mean, for the most part, like I said, maybe Mister Megorium's Wonder Emporium, and there's probably one or two other ones in there. We can tell it's a paycheck, but like even in the performance, like you said, like in Phantom Menace, she's not. It's not a good performance, but. It's a fucking weird one. Like the, the monotone, the like shit is very bizarre. And she's got like a weird accent for some reason. And right. then that just disappears. But yeah, she just, yeah, that's one thing you say about her. She's always just doing something. Or even when she's like in a, one of the lesser prequel performances, I would say like with Revenge of the Sith, she's not given much to do. Obviously, she's just like, oh, I'm pregnant at home. But even You've a few broken points. broken my heart. Yes, there's that. Or also even when she's like screaming, when she's like dying, just like, oh, no. Luke and Leia. <laughs> it's like she, Annie, you're Annie. going down. Oh God, you're going down that's, a path I can't go down. <laughs> well, in my opinion, the Jedi are evil. That's why he <laughs> killed her because she calls him Annie, <laughs> and that's why she lost the will to live. Yep. Oh, God. <laughs> well, we're not talking about any of the Star Wars prequels necessarily. We are talking about two films we chose at the end of our last episode. Uh, first, we'll be talking about your bad pick of Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. Uh, <laughs> and then we'll be talking about my good pick of Annihilation, which... The, yeah. This is probably one of the weirder double features we've ever done. <laughs> In a way, but both have magic. <laughs> that is true. They both do have a lot of magic. What, and if, what if Megorium's from the Shimmer? <laughs> that's like the head cannon. That's where he originally he's, came from. He's dusted off its doppelganger. And Mr. Megorium is actually like he's 243 years old, and Mr. Megorium takes place like 243 years in the future. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Let's go ahead and talk about Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. Good morning. Let's open the store. Welcome to Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. How much for that fish mobile up there? That's $50. Don't you think that's a little high? If you notice, they are fresh fish. Where the store is alive and wonders never cease. It's magic. Till now. I'm leaving. You're leaving? I'm giving you the store. You're giving me the store? Surprise! <laughs> The store is upset, as indicated by its temper tantrum. Temper tantrum? It's a magical toy store. It can do all sorts of things. Find yourself somewhere you've never imagined. Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. <laughs> so, Mr. McGorman's Wonder Emporium came out on November 16, 2007, from director-writer Zach Helm, uh, who, right before this, had sort of a weird fascination around him, because he had written the screenplay to Stranger Than Fiction, which was, like, I remember at the time, a movie that got, like, some, like, awards buzz and some big thing around it, and even I was kind of caught in the hype of, like, oh, it's Will Ferrell being more serious, and it's this weird kind of meta-narrative story, and then you watch the movie, it's like, oh, this is fine. 
Yeah, it's fine. I, I agree. I remember thinking the same thing. Like, oh my god, Will Ferrell's going to do serious acting? Holy shit. And you watch it like, no, he's still pretty goofy in it. It's, it's okay. Right, it's just kind of muted down a bit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and then also I watched like Charlie Kaufman movies after that. I'm like, oh no, this is actually like the thing they're going for. It's just like, well, let's try and make Charlie Kaufman mainstream, basically, is what the movie feels like. Yeah, 100%. It's like the Dr. Thunder to Dr. Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> the exact metaphor I'm sure Charlie Kaufman would really endorse. Yeah, 100%. Uh, but so off the cachet of that, like about like a year and a half after that movie came out, uh, he had Mr. McGorm's Wonder Emporium, um, a movie that like I was aware of mostly because I saw that poster and every time I've even heard about that movie since, I'm just like, this is like a fake movie that like a sitcom would make up like in 30 Rock. A thousand percent. Or if they couldn't like directly reference Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, they would just be like, uh, yeah, it was called Mr. McCorium's Wonder Emporium. They would just come up with this goofy, weird offshoot bootleg. And guess what? That's kind of what you get here. <laughs> yes, because uh, this movie, for I'm sure most of you who only are aware of the name of this movie and don't know what it's actually about, um, is about this magical toy store in somewhere city, USA. I guess, where um, it's run by this guy, Mr. Megorium, who's played by Dustin Hoffman, who's this whimsical, magical man who has had this store for, like, at least over 100 years. He implies that he's over 240 years old. It's a store where, like, children come and mostly just play around. There's barely any actual purchasing going on. I think they make, like, two sales throughout the whole fucking movie. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. <laughs> right, but it's just like, it's this magical place where, like, the toys come to life, and there's all this silliness, and there's a book that Natalie Portman can open up, and it's just like, oh, but can I get, like, a stuffed bunny, and then something comes out of it, or whatever. And uh, she has been working at the store for a bit, and she was a child prodigy, who apparently was, like, great at piano, but just, just stuck in a rut. And she says this to Mr. McGorham, and he's like, well, uh, guess what, uh, I'm dying, so uh, you're gonna have to take over the store. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So it's about, I guess, that conflict. Also, Jason Bateman shows up as an accountant who's like, hey, how come you never paid taxes or done anything with the store? Oh, it's because I'm whimsical. Yep. And that's and there's also a kid who hangs around and is apparently part of the staff, I guess. Yep. He's got hats. He's got hats. Yes, that, that's his bit. Is that he has hats all the time. But, uh, Adam, this was your choice. Yep. And uh, how do you feel about Mr. Gregorium's Wonder Emporium? This is dreadful fucking bullshit. I mean... It's 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 so so bad and lazy and the CGI is awful. I mean, granted, year it came out and might not be good, but I mean, even like it, as simple as it's so annoying. Like the CGI tracking, you know, where the character's supposed to be looking at something and following some of their eyes. It's so off that it's like misleading. Everyone looks like they're drunk, like they're a half second behind, which maybe everybody was. That could explain a lot. Dustin Hoffman's whimsy is he's got a lisp and bushy eyebrows. Ooh, so silly. Oh, and he wears the same shoes or whatever the fuck. Uh, Natalie Portman does not want to be here. She does not want to be in this. Her, her and Jason Bateman have zero chemistry. And I mean, absolute zero. They don't even look like they like each other as friends. They don't even seem like they do in this movie. Jason Bateman and that kid have zero chemistry because you know what? Jason Bateman is not that type of actor. And this was when he was doing these type of roles and stuff to try to be like the, you know, the the fun guy, the, the really good guy. No, he's, he's better playing like the sarcastic prick. And we know that now, thank God. No, this movie's it's atrocious. Like, have you ever seen someone not give less of a fuck than when Natalie Portman's doing like the dance at the end to bring the magic back to the store. Her facial expression is just, it looks like Michael Myers. 
Right, that's true. And when she's not doing that, she's doing a lot of like the weird laughter, which is like, oh, I'm so charmed by this. And it's it has even less passion. I remember she did a laugh when she won, I think, like a Golden Globe for Black Swan. And she went up there and she was all giddy, like, oh, I can't believe it. That has more charm to it than in this whole movie. She's just constantly like, I I guess I'm stuck in a rut, but I like the toy store, but I don't like. I love it here, like, but I got to get the fuck out of here, but I love it here. Right, but you only believe the part where she's like, I want to get the fuck out of here. And I don't blame her, because this place seems annoying to work at if you're Awful! <laughs> Awful! How is he paying her? Like, what is going on here? And all sorts of trinkets! Here you go! <laughs> this slinky is sad! Well, even though, like, we keep doing these kind of voices, but they're a lot less charming than Dustin Hoffman is just doing a weird lisp. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, the movie wants to be, like, one of those weird, like, 50s, 60s era, like, Disney live-action movies, yeah. where, in a better world, this would have been made in, like, 1959, and starred a young Audrey Hepburn and, like, Ed Wynn, the, yeah, the Mad Hatter. Yeah, just like, yeah, yeah. oh, look at my Lumber Emporium, isn't that fantastic? And it would have been like, well, that at least would be a bit more charming than this, which is just kind of, like, stayed and dull. Oh, it's terrible. And, I mean, just, and you're 100% right, he's just doing a weird lisp and, like, the way he's positioning his mouth is so annoying. Like he's got an overbite. But yeah, why do you need to see the doctor? You thick? Like, oh, what is happening here? So he owes all these taxes. He hasn't gotten his business license redone. He hasn't paid property taxes. He has no idea of how much he's making and all that. Because he's whimsical. Okay, he should, A, he'd be in prison. B, like, how is he going to leave the, st- like, this, as soon as he died, the place would be shuttered. Right. And also, more importantly, how come Jason Bateman is, like, the first accountant that's ever come to this place if he owes all this stuff? Ever. Like, in the hundred or so years since, like, this place. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's ever caught on to this guy? Like, like, what the fuck is this? So, you get the idea. He's magic and all that stuff, obviously. And, like, at the end, when he throws the paper airplane, like, the stars, the galaxy comes out. And clearly he has this thing about sleeping under the stars. You imagine he's going to disappear and turn into, a, like, a shooting star or a twinkly star. No, they bury the motherfucker in the ground. <laughs> the next shot, they're like, they, they're he's having his funeral. He's <laughs> at his tombstone, where everyone's including his pet zebra, who just yeah. answers up. It's so fucking funny. <laughs> he's rotting. Right. Corium is rotting. Or I don't know. I guess he's turning into confetti, and those poor worms who are eating him are just like, oh, oh, yeah. His body's like laffy taffy. <laughs> right. And the problem with this movie is like it wants to be super whimsical, but like the problem with just pure whimsy is that like that isn't enough to like really stretch out for like even this hour. No, it gets so stale so fast. Because you mentioned Willy Wonka, and what's fascinating about like that or even like the role doll in general stories is there's when the whimsy is there, there's also a bit of danger. Like Willy Wonka is kind of like a maniacal character at the same time he's fantastical. There's a balance there that's interesting. Yeah, this doesn't have that at all. His whole thing is, well sorry, I'm gonna die. (laughs) Well but you can't go. Well I have to. Today's my day. Well, and the weird thing is also there there could be something there because, like, in terms of that darkness, because the entire time he's trying to leave the thing over to Natalie Portman, like, if I was in her situation, my first question would be, am I going to live to be over 240 years old? A thousand percent. Right, so he's just like, everyone you know will die. <laughs> yeah, everyone you know and love is going to die, <laughs> and you'll stay young forever until you die and we got to fucking bury you. <laughs> right. 
like my concern especially would be like if i were to be in the situation where like oh the store is like getting sad because that's the big thing the store is like sentient and can yeah. kill all these things and there's a point where like when mr gorham says like oh i'm gonna leave soon the walls of the fucking store start bubbling and i'm like is this like a fucking uh clive barker story where the house is alive dude i swear to god i thought there was like maybe an alien or another cr- a creature back there that was coming after him like i'm like okay maybe they're gonna do something crazy about this where he's an alien or something Nah, dude, he's just this old fucking weirdo <laughs> that dies and gets buried. And but the store is also like alive. That's the weirder thing to me. It's just like right, but including like the actual structure. So I'm just like, oh, is this going to be some kind of weird, almost demonic secret thing about the store? Just like, well, I guess you have to sacrifice some children now in order for the store to continue. <laughs> Each one of his halves belonged to a child we sacrificed. <laughs> He's he's the keeper of the hats. Not <laughs> like it's so ridiculous. And then like the mom come the, the kid with the hats. I didn't bother to learn his name. I don't give a shit. The mom, the mom comes home and finds Jason Bateman in her kid's room, like playing with him, and they got hats on, and they're all he's on this bed. And she's like, What's the big idea here? He's like, Well, I better get going to work. What? Yeah, that's one of the weirder scenes, especially that I think that scene is trying to have the laugh of like, oh, isn't this an awkward situation that only the adults in the audience would get? And even then, it's just like, that's so creepy. Why is this in this very G-rated children's film? And it's it's so bizarre. Like, she's just like, no, well, you made a friend. Go good now, get your juice box. No, no, do your chores. It's just like, well, we're just going to swim past this. Hold on, Bobby's got to call the police. <laughs> I mean, for sure. It's just, and then like, at, like at the funeral, there's like the whole fucking cemetery is full of people, like a line of people for Megorium's funeral. Did you ever once get the sense that people even gave a shit about him, but Natalie Portman, or like the children? I guess, like that's yeah, a hundred percent. Like, but right. they didn't. They didn't. It's not like he had great, like big relationships with any of the kids and stuff. It was the one kid. Like, if the People in the community found out that he was in money problems and they started like raising money for him. He got the idea that he, he's a sense part of this community and everybody loves him. And, you know, the parents who the kids grew up to be the parents now just have fond memories of him. And that's why their kids are going like a lineage thing. And that almost sounds like a good story that you would want to do for this particular movie. You would think, but no. <laughs> You just got this bushy-eyed weirdo that fucking croaks and gets buried six feet under. And it seems like the, just children are abandoned at his store as like a daycare almost. Just like ch- kids the are left kid there. The gets crushed by a bouncing ball. Oh, that's such a big ball, isn't it? Right, like, yeah. And the, okay. that weird door where it's just like there's a... They, like, he moves the dial and that means the door changes locations. One of which is just listed as balls. For like yeah. the scene with all the balls. Yeah. And all the stuff. There's, At night, it doesn't change, just what's in there does. I think, weirdly, the only adult character that, like, really is at the store that long is, like, Kermit the Frog, who is, has a cameo in this movie, randomly. For fucking some reason. Yeah, and he's just like, oh, I'm shopping. 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 That's all he does, and then he leaves. He's like, you got Kermit the Frog in your fucking movie, that's what you do? That yep. deeply offended me on, like, a spiritual level. Like, how dare you do this to Kermit? This is the one movie Kermit does not have on his resume. He'll put Muppets from Space on before this movie. <laughs> Dude, I watched Muppets from Space after this movie with my kid, and I, because of this movie, I was like, this is kind of a masterpiece. <laughs> and, I, and I know it's terrible, but still. We've covered it on the show before. We have proof of that. I, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
McGorms, it's terrible. Even, okay, whimsy, like you said, and there's got to be something else to it. But he's not even likable. They don't, he's, no. whimsy is his only character trait. Like 100%, that's it. Just he's silly. He likes to say silly words and likes to tap dance on bubble wrap and okay. jump the, on the, beds. And, the uh, moment where I would just wanted somebody to say, like, get the fuck out of this park where they're just like tap dancing on bubble wrap as part of like his big last day. Uh, it's like, oh, we're bouncing on fucking mattresses or whatever. And it's a weird thing where like, we're obviously two cynical adults talking about this movie. But even if I was a child, I would get really bored with this movie and not really give a shit <laughs> after a while. My kid didn't give a shit. Oh, yeah. yeah my kid did not give a shit. In fact, I fell asleep watching it the first time, and I woke up, and she was in the other room, and there was the credits. I'm like, hey, what happened? She goes, he died. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but, um, That's the review from a six-year-old, just so you know just exactly yep. how compelling it is. And the funny thing is, that's exactly what he wants that to be said about him in the movie. Remember when he's quoting King Lear? Right, oh, yes. Oh. Who's the guy who looks like Tom Hardy from Bronson in the basement making books? Oh, yeah, Bellini, yes, who's, like, at the start of the movie. He's, like, apparently he's documenting Mr. Megorium's life or whatever, and he pops up, like, twice in the movie. And it's just, like, what great documentation you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Setting his life. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, he's just hanging out in the basement. <laughs> like, okay, this, this movie's fucking shit. It's just pure dogs. Obviously, it's not for us, but I don't think it's for anybody. No, including even uh, director Zach Helm talked about it because the only other cultural legacy of this movie is during one of the last episodes of Breaking Bad. Um, there's a part where Walter White goes to like a safe house and there's no internet or cable. So the only two bits of entertainment are two DVD copies of Mr. Gorham's Wonder Emporium. Like oh. to in- insinuate that like he's in hell, basically. <laughs> That's all he has for entertainment. And Zach Helm responded by that saying, uh, having myself endured the ignominy of watching the Technicolor train wreck that is Mr. McGorham's Wonder Emporium multiple times every day for over a year, I can attest to it being the perfect Kafka-esque hell for a character of such moral ambiguity as Walter White. Yeah, you know, but when that shit happens to me, it's like, that's all well and good. Uh, did you keep the money? <laughs> did you spend it? Did you get to make more? Like, fuck off. Well, of course, not that not that much, honestly, because this was his only directorial effort, and he just kind of like wrecked his career. I'm sure that's also part of it. <laughs> it's just that he well. resents it for like completely derailing any kind of career he would really have. But to be fair, it's not directed well either. No. To be fair, it's got a lot of ugly shots, weird uses of slow motion. Like it just—it's an ugly-looking movie too. Like, the only bit of praise I can somewhat give it is I do like the production design of the store in terms of it kind of looks like a weird FAO Schwartz kind of place. And there's some bits and pieces of, like, actual practical puppetry in places as well. Like, honestly, the character I had the most sympathy for in this whole movie is that poor little sock monkey that Mr. Gregorian puts on his shelf. And he's just like reaching out like, someone hug me, please hug me. And then he hugs Jason Bateman at the end. Right, yeah, so that's the arc I had the most investment. Just that little sock monkey got a hug. I'm yep. so happy for him. Yeah, other than that, did not give a fuck. <laughs> like, about nothing. No. It's, no, no. Uh, yeah, like, you just don't care. And at the end, I mean, she figures out magic or whatever, and then you're kind of like, oh, so she just gave up playing piano then, I guess, huh? So she abandons that to run this fucking hellish toy store. Right, that'll consume her for 200 years, and she'll watch as all of these children die before she does. <laughs> yeah, all these kids are going to grow old and shit. Like, Remember me, Mahoney? <laughs> yes, into the ball pit. 
Um, <laughs> but you still have her pixie cut and adorable smile, just like, yep, hey, everybody. 100%. I just did V for Vendetta, and I'm still kind of growing my hair back. Oh, that is exactly what it is. Uh, right, she had that look for a bit after V for Vendetta. How do you go from V for Vendetta to Mr. Megorium's Wonder Borium? Good <laughs> God. Maybe that's the change of pace she wanted, just like after such a depressing, Nihilistic, thriller, dark action movie. movie. Yeah. Right, she wanted just like, let me do something whimsical, I guess. Let me go fuck uh, around with Dustin Hoffman. Uh, yeah. All right. No, I, I guess we should do wrap up our thoughts and talk about a much better movie with the, the, the other one. So, Adam, your final thoughts on Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. You know, now that I said it, think about it. Fucking around for a couple months with Dustin Hoffman in like a toy store in Central Park and shit might be a good time. Who the hell knows? Uh, I don't know. Based on certain things about Dustin Hoffman, I don't know if that would be the most. Fun. I don't. I don't give a fuck about him enough to know anything that he's done. Uh, never been a huge Dustin Hoffman fan. <laughs> fuck him. No, it's terrible. It's it's not fun. It's not funny. It's the whimsy is so like just shoved down your throat that it becomes annoying within five minutes. Portman, who is the top of our show, does not want to be here. Much like as a viewer, you don't want to be watching it. You're not going to have fun with it. Your kids aren't going to have fun with it. But I, I genuinely, genuinely want to know if somebody who listens to this show likes this movie, I want you to write us and tell us what we're missing. I don't think we're missing anything because I get, think it's universally hated, but this is one of those where I'm very curious if it has a fan base. Yeah, I mean, when I was blogging this on Letterboxd, I did see a few of these just like childhood nostalgia things, I guess, from people who were kids at this point, which I mean, I don't know if you have right, that. Uh, whatever. Uh, right, you. whatever. Uh, but we don't have that. We've talked about playing kids' movies on the show where like they're still sure. on, like, as even good picks. We're just like, oh, like a Paddington 2 or something like that, where there's whimsy and there's charm, but also it's like a genuinely good movie. It doesn't just kind of coast on whatever that's supposed to be. And uh, this movie tries to coast on that, but has no idea of what that actually is uh, because it's just kind of like, let's, you know, put some bright colors in here or let's have, you know, Dustin Hoffman have weird hair and eyebrows or something like that and that's supposed to be charming or have Natalie Portman just awkwardly laugh to insinuate like she's having fun, right? When he sees her after the hospital and he says, pants, what do you mean? Nothing, I'm wearing them. Well, so am I. Ooh. Oh, what the fuck? You know what I'm saying about him? That was very uh, whimsical and adorable. So I completely take back everything I said. <laughs> this movie's so great. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, well, on that note, let's get into our actual fantastic movie of Annihilation. Can you describe its form? No. Start from the beginning. What do you think I do when you're away? You think I'm out in the garden, pining, looking up at the sky? <laughs> Let me see him. He was extremely ill. You have to tell me where he was, what he was doing. It was his decision to go in. It's something they termed the shimmer. It's beautiful. Check this out. Sharks have teeth like that. It's not possible. You can't crossbreed different species. Something's come through the fence. Through the fence? So Annihilation uh, came out February 23rd, 2018 from writer-director Alex Garland. This is basically, it's this adaptation of the Jeff Vandermeer 
novel uh, that is about uh, Natalie Portman plays this woman named Lena, who is a teacher and a biologist. Um, who has uh, lost her husband is implied is like he went off on some weird mission and has been missing for like a year and a half and then he suddenly comes back and something's wrong with him and she ends up like uh, tries to take him off to the hospital but in the middle of the ambulance ride she is taken uh, into a secret government facility uh, where she is told by um, the main sort of person there Dr. Ventress played by Jennifer Jason Lee that um, this is part of a weird covert operation that is centered around this shimmer which is this big sort of like bubble area that's been closed off by the military um, where this uh, shimmer is like this big kind of extraterrestrial bubble has taken over a forest area. It's starting to expand and they're going to have a mission to go in there and see what the problem is. That's apparently where her husband went to the first time and came back all weird. So uh, she, along with another group of folks, uh, includes uh, Gina Rodriguez and Tessa Thompson and uh, Tuva Novotny um, all go in to try and uh, see if they can resolve the issue of the shimmer, and they go in and find all sorts of weird, fascinating mutations that have resulted from the elements entering into uh, the jungle area where they're going in. And uh, this is my pick, and I remember I was one of, unfortunately, the few people who saw this in the theater, because it was not a big box office grocer when it came out, and I get it, because this movie is very not... Uh, like mainstream to any degree. I'm kind of fascinated that uh, Alex Garland got $55 million to make this. And uh, it's a fascinating, weird sci-fi sort of horror movie that um, I hadn't seen since the theater, but rewatching it, I still have a lot of uh, fascination with it and questions about uh, some of the things that it's bringing up here. I like a lot of the themes it addresses. And also it's at the same time, a very shocking, engaging sort of like horror thriller movie. And also a sci-fi movie, just talking about the idea of, like, what happens when an alien thing enters our atmosphere and our world and changes it, mutates it. Uh, but, Adam, what about your thoughts on Annihilation? No, I, I, I agree with you 100%. I think it's such a weird, dark, scary, but ultimately intelligent and fascinating, like, really sort of, you know, gets the old brain ticking, if you want to say that. But, no, I, I think it's an absolutely just really fucking bizarre movie that it's it's mind-blowing that the budget it had and everything was, was allotted to it because this movie no way was going to be a commercial success i mean there's no way it's such an odd heady sci-fi is never a success for the most part unless you're like christopher nolan the cast is phenomenal the cinematography and the effects work in this are just so so well done even the cgi is really kind of seamless there's the two things in this movie that permanently fucked me in the head. One is, of course, the bear with the screaming voice and the half skull and absolutely terrifying. The other is the video they find of Oscar Isaac and the other team members. And ultimately, when you've realized they did, it's, not, it's fucking terrifying and scary and mentally fucked. Uh, but no, I, I just think this is wonderful. It's part of a trilogy. Uh, well, at least the book it's based on is part of a trilogy. Right, though apparently Alex Garland like started adapting this from like the manuscript and was even unaware that like that novel would have sequels and stuff like that. Yeah, the author gave his final approval. He said he didn't want them to just do a shot-for-shot thing of the book. He wanted somebody to do something strange and weird with it and even surprise him. And he, he said this was absolutely that. And I mean, this movie surprised me when I first saw it and I haven't even read the books. This movie goes in so many weird places that you're not expecting, but it just 
kind of works almost on every level. Yeah, I think uh, particularly with, you know, our main character being uh, played by Natalie Portman, I think she's so phenomenal because she has that great mixture of genuine worry about her husband, but also the fascination of being a scientist and exploring this new phase of humanity, basically, where we're the shimmer. like an alien. The Shimmer, yes, of course. That, thank you, Mr. McCorium, for telling yeah, us. That's, that's, where he's, that's where he's from. Right, yes, our, as our headcanon persists, that he was one of the creatures that came out of yeah, yeah. <laughs> the fucking Shimmer. Um, but, but yeah, I, I like that she has that sort of fascination with this at the same time she has this fear about like what happened to her husband and what's happening to the people she's going on this trip with and i like we get elements of the other characters but we don't necessarily explore like every single bit like particularly with uh like the uh tuva uh Nivote, the cassie character she has so much of like this regret like she establishes like yeah i had to fight with like you know my daughter had leukemia and died and i've been like struggling with that but it felt kind of like the death of one part of me and the birth of a new version of me basically and this is what's what the movie's covering entirely it's about like a new form of like vegetation and animals and even humanity by the end of it kind of being affected by this alien shimmer thing you know the thing about portman in this movie too which is really great like you said she absolutely pulls off the you know the scientist part but also the sort of wounded widow and then also just a completely capable badass like what she takes charge against that like giant alligator and things like that like you firmly believe like she is fully in charge of her senses and you know her body and her muscle memory and all like she's the most capable member of the group and she's not even the combat veteran she's a incredibly layered like yeah she's fully capable of taking charge and kicking ass but she's still like a person with feelings and she's wounded and mentally fucked at the moment because of what's happened in her own life and she grows to actually care about these women she's with some of them and things like that it's it's a really strong performance one of my favorite performances from her like ever actually yeah, I mean, so is everyone else. Like, I really love, like, Gina Rodriguez and Tessa Thompson mm-hmm. coming into the sport. Tessa Thompson seems like the more bookwormish one, but still has, like, an empathy for, like, these characters. Like, she tries to, like, take a hand for somebody just like, hey, do you want to, like, leave here? Like, when they're in that pool. It's been a bit. Yeah. I see, like, the growth of that one dude who was in the video. Um, but also, like, right, horrible, horrific. Uh, but, um, and even, like, with Gina Rodriguez, she seems like she'd be the one who would be like, oh, I'm the super tough bass. I'm a paramedic. I know how shit goes uh-huh. down. But even when she breaks apart and she ends up, like, tying everybody down right before that bear scene happens, just like, I don't know what the fuck's happening. I can't trust any of you. I thought you guys were, like, fucking me over. And I, I like that they show a lot of that change subtly. I think particularly with there's the element that I didn't really discover until this new watch of, like, all of them have these weird bruises that turn into the weird, like, infinity snake eating itself tattoo, the Ouroboros. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, gradually evolves. Even, like, Natalie Portman, when she's being interviewed by Bandit Wong at the start, she doesn't have, she only has the bruise, and by the end of it, she has the tattoo. It's just, like, they're being affected on, like, a chemical level. Oh, yeah. God, you're, like, from an Agatha Christie novel. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Just call me Tumas Poro. Yeah. Look at my mustache. I got him. Whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Would you like to see my suit? Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, for sure, dude. And it's the, the fucking final bit with the sort of, I guess you could call it the shimmer alien or whatever the fuck it is. Like her. Like the, the mimic humanoid thing. Yeah. yeah, that might ultimately become her doppelganger or whatever. Like, it's such a beautifully done thing, like with the, the way it moves, where it's almost like it's a dance against each other. Yeah. It's so fucking cool and weird. That's the one thing about this movie too. It's weird. Like when this movie ends, 
like I'm sure most people, I'm I'm still like, all right, that was great, but what the fuck was any of that? <laughs> like, you know, you know, 100%. That's why I like this movie so much, where it's not overtly, like, strange and complicated. It's complicated and weird enough to where when it's over, you might, like, be questioning what you saw, but you're able to sort of fill in the gaps for yourself and come up with your own conclusion. Where some movies that are so overtly complicated, when they're over, you're like, I don't know, what the fuck I just watched? Like, what was any of this? And it just leaves you wondering the whole time and asking questions. Where this one, I mean, it's a finite ending. Like, it's definitely over. Like, the shimmer is gone. But to get to that point, there's so many weird things that happen. And like, why did they happen? What is going on? And you just, it, it sucks you in. It's a movie where it's not just bringing up questions. It's actually, it's answering some of those questions, but those answers also lead to different questions right. kind of thing. Like, it's just like, oh, okay, so this thing mutates. And thus we see certain things like the, the first one we see is the alligator, which is really interesting. Where it's just like, oh, it seems like this weird alligator that has a different like skin tone, but then its teeth are like a shark. Almost like that kind of thing. The elks that have like the tree branches for the horns and they're super skinny. Or even just weird elements. Like I didn't notice until this time that like the house they end up going into where like the bear attack happens later. It's a very similar layout to Natalie Portman's house that we see earlier. So it's almost like, oh, are we like duplicating like just uh, little things from like memories of these people basically at the same time. So it's not even just DNA. It's actual structural things from our memories. And then like the people that are made out of tree branches shit, like what the fuck is that? Like, how do you, what is that? That is probably my favorite bit of this whole movie is Tessa Thompson, like gradually turning into that. And then yes. now the corporate like, chases her and it's just a crowd of those fucking things. It's like, oh, she just became one of them. Yes, it's great. Oh, it's terrifying. That's the one thing about this movie, too. Hey, it's it is criminally underseen still. I still know a lot of people who haven't seen this movie and it'd be right up most of their alley. But this one doesn't get talked about enough, in my opinion, when it comes to sci-fi horror either. Because this is genuinely a, a, like a very unsettling dark horrific sci-fi movie you know when people talk about you know sci-fi horror obviously you get like the thing and and things like that or event horizon or like the ones that are mentioned pretty much most like invasion of the body snatchers and stuff like that but this to me deserves a spot right up there i mean this as far as modern horror sci-fi this has got to be near if not the top of the list Right, and I like the fact that especially it doesn't present the Shimmer as outright villainous without kind of like any motivation, as much right. as just like it landed here, and it's just kind of growing, and it's changing things. And I like that there's kind of a beauty in terms of some of the things it changes, like the look of like how the Shimmer has like affected uh, like some of the vegetation, and even like the little growths that like come out of um, even like some of the dead bodies, like the guy who was like horribly murdered in the video when you see like his death and it's like the weird sort of like uh gross that have come out from like the his body have just become like this weird discoloration and all this other stuff i like the fact that there's a bit of a beauty that's there but it never also loses its malice like with the bear like the bear is one of the most fascinating things where it's this bear that comes in and it's got this like horrible skull like exposed face and it can mimic the vocal things of like other people like it initially draws out one of the characters because it kind of sounds like Cass who we had previously mauled um, and then Gina Rodriguez even after that point like I like the fact that there is sort of like a weird fascination like this is an interesting fascinating creature but also it's horrific and it's immediately going to destroy these humans it feels almost like nature fighting back against humanity basically I mean it's screaming help me for god's sakes yep oh that that dude that uh, I'm thinking about it now, and I'm I'm getting the willies. That's a funny word. Um, no, recording. Please die. Please, <laughs> please stop go away. Sorry. 
brains. Um, <laughs> I have one, or I did. <laughs> or I need to eat them to sustain myself now. <laughs> <laughs> the fire of hell burned me. Um, anyways. Um, the Emporium is basically a shimmer. That's why the fucking the walls pulsate and shit. thousand <laughs> percent. It is the, the uh, doppelganger of an FAO Schwartz from Halloween 2. Or Home Alone 2. Halloween 2. Good lord. That's what you want to happen to the Emporium. You want a Halloween 2. You know, if Halloween ends, it takes the finale yeah. to place in FAO Schwartz. <laughs> uh, might as well. Uh, anyways. Uh, <laughs> this is one of those movies, like I said, where when it's over, I have so many questions. But I'm also so glad not everything was answered. This movie, I love that it's not just tightly wrapped up with a little bow and like this explains the shimmer. This is why there was these doppelgangers. This is what they were doing. It's just, I don't know, that was fucked up, right? <laughs> you know, you just gotta go with it. I, that's what I love about it. Especially with the ending being like the reaction between like Oscar Isaac and Allie Portman, where he says, like, no, nah, I'm not really Kane. Are you really leaning? She's like, I don't even know. I like the yeah. idea that it is sort of this weird thing where, like, they've both mutated to this degree, and they're kind of like, well, I guess do we keep living our lives, I guess? Yeah, let's see how that goes. You want to go doppelbang? <laughs> yeah! <laughs> is doppelbang, like, the implied, like, a foursome, basically? Yeah, yeah, like, whoa! <laughs> Crazy. But it wouldn't be awkward, because, like, what if Oscar Isaac just wants to be with Oscar Isaac? <laughs> I mean, I don't blame Oscar Isaac for wanting I, Yeah, I guess, so. I guess I don't blame him either. I guess I don't blame Natalie Portman for wanting to be a Natalie Portman. That's true. Yeah. Right, yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's a really good-looking doppelbang. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you don't know she's the doppelganger? I don't think she is. I just think she's so mentally fucked up and confused now. Where she's like, I don't even know what's real anymore. Well, I think they also, they imply with, like, the whole thing with the eyes, where, like, her eyes actually shimmer, that she's at least been, like, affected. Oh, yeah, she's been, like, polluted by it. Yeah, or whatever. Sure mutated i would say i think that's the thing is that it doesn't even say like it's a pollution as much as just like she's now not quite human she is something other she has like evolved to a different thing and i like the movie kind of presents it as just like well that's like seems to be fucked up for our own individual society but also maybe better because uh humanity is what yeah. kind of led to like the destruction of like all these new different life forms just like no we gotta fucking destroy it we gotta burn it. like i like the fact that the um nature kind of represents um like some kind of growth or change or difference and whenever the humans come in they basically teach like these aliens to destroy each other like that's even what natalie portman does with the doppelganger like here let me teach you how to use the grenade and kill yourself basically yeah so it just is implying that like oh they are destroying this earth or even whatever happens to jennifer jason lee kind of feels like that too yeah yeah, whatever the fuck how did you feel about her in this movie by the way i like her i think because she has this kind of distance and gruffness that would imply like oh she's just like a you know a military type that's probably what she is but really it's more of a distance because she's actually dying and she doesn't want to have any kind of vulnerability whatsoever like she sees all the rest of them having some kind of vulnerability and she's like nah fuck it i'm getting out of here and the only time she's at all vulnerable is when she's about to be consumed from the inside out by like the fire of the fucking shimmer or whatever i I liked her in this myself yeah i think she's good i think she's the weakest link out of the principal cast but i think she's good you know i it was nice to see sort of i don't want to i don't want to call it a comeback she's been around forever still but like she just started banging out big roles and doing really well really after the hateful eight kind of like Mm-hmm. had a new appreciation for her yeah people were kind of like oh wait jennifer jason lee's been around it's like yeah of course she has been <laughs> for forever and she's still yeah. really good i take yeah because <laughs> she was one of the best to come out of that brad pack era uh if not the 
I don't know, Judd Nelson. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'll walk that back a bit. Mr. Judd Nelson, his post. Andrew <laughs> Daly, sorry, my fault. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie Sheen, of course, everyone loves him. Jonathan Silverman, who could forget? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I think she's she's good. I think she's she works as sort of the authoritative one of the group, even though she's not really in charge. She thinks she, you get the idea that she feels she is. She must supposed to be, but you always know, Natalie Portman's in charge. And even she's also falling apart. It's like no one's really in charge. There's no there is yeah. no sem- semblance of like order in here. No, it's, it's all chaos. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. And it is a bummer, like you said, this didn't do as well. I think a lot of it had to do with, like, producers and the financiers kind of, like, had an argument after test screenings about, like, they wanted to change things, but the producers wanted to keep Final Cut for Alex Garland. So they were like, okay, we're going to have, like, um, most of the, anywhere outside of America, Canada, or China, it's going to be straight to Netflix. And then for those places, we're also going to put it out, I remember I saw this during the big wake of, like, Black Panther, it came out like I think a week or two after that, and of course that meant this movie was not going to get any kind of attention because that movie was massively successful. This is one of those movies too, which you know, granted, I wish it would have made more money because then we get more movies like this, which we still do get these weird sort of movies, more of the, on the independent sort of you know level and things like that. But I, this is one of those that anybody I've ever recommended it to who's watched it is like, "Fuck, that is so good." It's such a bizarre, weird, like, find. You feel so happy when you find this movie. Because, like, I can't believe this movie is not more successful. It's so good. Yeah. Um, it definitely feels like a movie that if it had come out maybe, like, a decade prior, it would be one that was spread around, like, on home video. And that was more yeah. of a thing. Like, it would be more of, like, a DVD cult kind of thing. It was, like, a big Hulu release. Because Hulu was the first one to get it. In the States, yeah. Yeah. So, like, it was a big, they advertised the shit out of having it. Mm-hmm. And that's where I first saw it. So, I mean, and I think a lot of other people probably saw it that way, obviously, because nobody saw it in the fucking theater. Except for me, baby. I went. Yeah, I was uh, there. I'm one of the few. Yep. Well, you financed it. <laughs> well, that's true. And <laughs> I lost a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> I bet I'm black and I got up with red instead. It's why I'm doing this show, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Notice how this came out in February of 2018. We started in April 2018, so it's ah, to get there. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, um, any final thoughts, Adam, on Annihilation? I mean, just to stick with the topic alone, uh, like I said, this might be my favorite performance of Natalie Portman. Uh, period. There's a you know we'll talk about a couple more coming up, but she's just so good in this. She runs the full gamut of emotion in this. And she just hits every single one of them right on target. It's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful performance from her. Um, to even the point where, you know, Natalie Portman is a beautiful woman. She's just got such a look about her. But in this, you know, she, just by the way she acts, she, for some reason, like, tra- chameleon, she's like a chameleon in this movie to where, you know, you don't even really... I, it, at least for me, and I don't care how shallow this sounds, but I don't even notice her beauty in this movie as I would in most other things. Like even in Mr. Megorium's, she's still got like the pixie haircut. She's really cute, the way she's dressed, everything. And this, you just watch this performance and it's just masterful. Uh, but yeah, uh, I agree. I think it's a, f- a phenomenal use of Portman. I think it's it's not so much like I don't notice her beauty as much as what I like is that she has this like mixture of, like we talked about, uh, a pure terror about what's going on, but still a fascination. Kind of makes this one of those rare movies in the vein of like a Jurassic Park where that's a movie that is both terrified but in awe 
of the horror that's presented in front of it. I think this movie kind of fits in that category as well, where you see this like like unspeakable, bizarre, otherworldly thing enter our world, and there's a f- beauty to it, but also a terror at the same time. I think she and the other cast members do a great job balancing that on an internal level, where they're trying to like kind of balance the idea of like I cannot believe this is happening in front of me. It's amazing, but also um, it's consuming us all from in the inside. And I like, but you know, a movie that manages to do that. I think it's a it's a kind of thing that's kind of lost by modern standards. And even I do agree that like you get a lot more movies like this on like a smaller scale with say an A24 for example but um, I think if you want the contrast between the movie we're talking about where it's like oh it just brings up questions and never answers anything and this movie that brings up answers but then new questions that you want answers to uh, look between like this versus uh, Men the next Alex Garland movie and I think you get that contrast uh, fully displayed Um, and shows this one's great and the other one is Men but now, Adam, let's go ahead and talk about our uh, double redo choices for the week. Double redo. Double redo. Double redo. Double redo. Double redo. Double double redo. That works. So the Double Board Do, if you're new, is a segment where every week Adam and I recommend a good movie and dissuade you from watching a bad movie related to the topic in question. So each of us has a good and a bad one related to Miss Natalie Portman. And uh, Adam, your first up, what are your good and bad choice for this one? Uh, okay, so for my good choice, it's a movie that I saw. I, I don't want to say I saw it at the theater, but I think I saw it like right when it came out on DVD. I think my mother rented it. But it is, uh, it's not for people who are a little bit, uh, shall we say, timid. I have Closer uh, with her and Clive Owen, Julie Roberts, Jude Law. It's this really beautiful sort of modern adult love triangle romance movie with these people who are all fucking egotistical bastards but they find each other and then though the real world happens and they separate and they come back together and they all get intermingled and i just think it's fucking gorgeous i i love everything about it the acting the cinematography the soundtrack and score to this movie are just breathtaking um this is how i came to find uh damon rice the singer because he does the opening song for this movie it's just it's a wonderful really adult look at modern relationships and how fucked up people find likewise fucked up people and i just really really kind of love this movie and portman in it i remember there was a little bit of flack for her when this movie came out because she's uh, dresses uh, racy and a lot of it she's an adult sort of dancer so there was a lot of you know sort of too much focus put on that aspect of her and it's a shame because she's really really good in it she's absolutely breaks your heart and at the same time she's almost like femme fatale it really really works uh and for my bad uh, i have a comedy movie that she was in because she doesn't do too much comedy especially raunchy comedy and i have this and i think this is an atrocious atrocious movie i have your highness Starring her, Danny McBride, and uh, fuckboy Franco. Um, It's just not funny. It's an hour and a half of dick and fart jokes. 
uh, that don't land. Like I'm, I'm all down for a good dick and fart joke and naughty humor and, you know, really crass stuff. But this one is just, none of them work. Uh, the only thing they got going for them that they think will make it funny is that it takes place in a fantasy medieval time. So a wizard calling somebody motherfucker and tell him to suck my dick or whatever. Ha ha ha. How funny. Cause it's a wizard. Doesn't work. It's not funny. She's does not give a shit about being in this movie to the point to where any scenes of her that it's not her face, like you can't really tell it's her. It's a body double. She didn't want to do it. She didn't like wearing the skimpy clothing they tried to put, they made her put on and everything. She is so not committed to this movie. And guess what? Neither was I, baby. Uh, yeah, I have seen both of yours. Uh, I mean, your highness, I, I mean, there's not much else to say beyond what you said there. If only thing to add about that is it's part of the weird career of Mr. David Gordon Green who went from, like, indie darling doing stuff like Snow Angels and George Washington to these raunchy comics like Pineapple Express and this and, like, The Sitter, and then did a few more adult dramas like Joe and then Prince Avalanche, and then became the Halloween guy afterward? Him and Danny McBride both became the Halloween guys. Right, I mean, but that was, like, at least the first weird thing for McBride. Like, oh, you're, you're writing That's these true. movies with this guy, as opposed to... Th- David Gordon Green's had a weird, bizarre, fascinating career of uh, m- many different stripes as he's gone along. But yeah, that one is definitely uh, the worst, I think, of that sort of, like, raunchy comedy era for him, for sure. Uh, and then Closer, I didn't watch, actually, until doing sort of prep for the show. And I like Closer a lot. I agree that I think it's a really interesting kind of drama. I mean, it's definitely... You can tell it was based on a play, despite having Mike Nichols directed. It doesn't feel like that cinematic, but there's still, like, a lot of great performances and even, like, a lot of clever things in the script. Like, I love the fact that Clive Owen's introduction to this movie is him having virtual sex, like, on AOL Messenger with Jude Law. <laughs> and I just love the idea also of, like, Mike Nichols reading that script and someone explained to, like, the 73-year-old director, like, hey, what's virtual, like, AOL text messaging sex? <laughs> it's, like, so funny to me. Cheapers, um, well, you see... What it is. Why did you make Mr. Gregorium your assistant? Why did you hire him as an intern? First of all, you ask AFL. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> yeah, pretty stupid. But not like Closer, which I agree is a very good film. And um, it feels like it was kind of lost to time, I think, because like most of the interest in it was, like you mentioned, like the Nathalie thing, like, like, oh, it's salacious. Like, the, the young lady has become, like, a raunchy sex figure in this movie and it's like no she's a lot more nuanced than that but sure she wears like a pink wig and like strips in front of uh, clive owen like that's it, it it feels definitely like it's a weird kind of like ses- sexism thing that kind of like reduce this movie to something smaller than what it actually is in the public eye yeah i agree but for my choices um i have um one of her more recent sort of big oscar claim movies and uh, one of the movies that she was also doing around that time at closer to kind of differentiate yourself from like the star wars of it all my good pick is jackie in which she plays jackie onassis and it's basically this movie that uh, if you saw like the trailers and stuff i know some people didn't want to see it because like oh it just looks like a weird like kind of like biopic thing about jackie but what's so fascinating is it's pablo lorraine who also recently made uh the kristen stewart helmed uh spencer and i think both those movies work as a pair because they're both movies about real life figures real life women 
um, who were sort of like around in the public eye and focused on tragedy. But it's really about the two of them, both their movies are about these two women kind of like facing this like horrible massive event while also being in the public eye. And I think particularly like Jackie does that so well where like the assassination is a big part of it. We see like certain like sort of recreations and bits of that moment, but it's so much more about the aftermath and her trying to just like keep some sort of semblance of like her dignity and her public image while also, you know, having to like completely adjust her life and, you know, kind of fear for her kids, but also having to just like be a public person who is like, no, I have to like keep the spirit of like the candies alive to some degree. And I think she does a phenomenal job of doing that while doing somewhat of an impression, but also this weird sort of version that it feels like she's putting on the kind of Jackie Onassis um, voice, but in a way that feels like she's constantly trying to put up a public persona in front of people that I think is really interesting and nuanced. And I think earned her that Oscar nomination uh, quite well. And I think it's a fantastic, very underrated movie that deserves a lot more credit. It feels almost kind of like it's a biopic by way of a horrific sort of like living nightmare of just being in the haze of grief and having to like worry about that. It's a, not a, you know, an upper, it's not like a fun romp, but it's a, it's a really engaging, sobering drama that has a lot of stylistic flourish and beauty and tragedy surrounded around it. Um, and then the bad one I have is a movie I remember liking at the time when it came out and I was kind of like swept up in the sort of like, Oh, twee indie joy of it, but uh, has aged quite terribly. I have garden state, which was the big directorial debut of Mr. Zach Braff, which he was able to do this after he got a lot of Scrubs money. And this had a lot of acclaim about like, oh, it's like this great little indie movie that's like really fast. It's like your average romantic comedy. And uh, watching it now, it's everything that people kind of hate about Sundance twee movies just wrapped into one thing. It's got like such pretentious ideas about like, oh, hey, I'm Zach Reff, this like white dude who's got to deal with the grief of like his mom passing. That's a bummer. But also I'm really sad even before that. Now I'm a working actor, but I can't quite get my shit together. I don't know. I'm just kind of like in a haze currently. And um, the supporting cast all around him is just filled with like twee bullshit people, including Natalie Portman playing like a manic pixie dream girl in the most annoying context. I forgot that her introduction was her saying a lot of the uh, slur about uh, mental handicapped people that we don't say anymore for good reason. It's just her like saying it multiple times over as part of like a comedy bit. And even without like the language being like, oh, that feels like it's supremely dated. It also just feels so dated about like, oh, this is like suburban white guy problems coming back to town and realizing like, oh man, my, my dad tries to keep me on these pills. I haven't been happy in forever. And um, all the people all around me who I grew up with have grown up to be like douchebags. It's a movie that once again, when I was a teenager, when this first came out, I was like, oh yeah, this really speaks to something. <laughs> of course. Right, and then now, when it's just like, it's like, oh, hey, why don't you listen to The Shins? I'm like, oh, no. Like, that would, like this is so much bullshit. It's just like, yeah, this movie has uh, aged uh, like a fine milk. Yeah, uh, Jackie, uh, funny story. Uh, because I've been so busy for work, I watched that thinking that was our good choice. Because uh, it was your alternate <laughs> one, and uh, I liked it. I will say that. So if we would have covered it, it would have been a positive review. Uh, no, I think it's great. I think she's fucking terrific in it. She just looks like she is just destroyed at every moment post-assassination. And yet, like, you really feel like she's constantly holding back her tears and her mental virgin of a mental breakdown. It's, it, it's a wonderful performance. And her and Billy Crudup together in this is yes. the interview interviewee is fucking the most tense sort of shit with two people doing nothing that I've seen in a long time. Like it's absolutely fantastic. 
Uh, and Garden State, uh, I watched once. I hated it. I never liked Zach Braff. And I hate it for all the reasons that you hate it now. Uh, that's why I hated it then. Like, just, man, my, my old man's always on my ass. And, uh, you know, my hair, it's, it's just perfectly scruffy. Let me get my fatigue jacket. You like Death Cab? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, get the fuck out of here with this pretentious bullshit. And that's exactly what it is. It comes, it's just, it just comes off like pretentious bullshit. And, uh, yeah, never liked it. Never been a fan. And I can't emphasize enough how, like, at that age, when that Natalie Portman showed up, like, oh, she's, like, the perfect woman. And now, the moment, like, she shows up in this movie, I'm like, oh, warning signs. She's cute, but oof, no. All sorts of bad signs. Fuck this. No. Dude, when I saw Dottie Darko, and it, probably your age that you saw at Garden State, I'm like, this is about me. Oh. <laughs> like, oh, man. Oh, I feel just like this. Oh. Mom, can I get a Bauhaus record? <laughs> Can I dress up as Frank the Blood? Go, go. Where's my skeleton onesie, Mom? <laughs> I would argue Donnie Darker, having revisited that recently, has a bit more that holds up about it compared to a Garden State. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess. But but yeah, uh, not necessarily the, a film that holds up that well, Mister Garden State. So let's uh, go ahead and just repeat our choices for people out there, Adam. Uh, for my good, I had Closer, and for my horrible, terrible, shitty, I had Your Highness. And for my good, I had Jackie, and for my uh, no good, very bad, don't do it, I have Garden State. <laughs> but uh, thank you all uh, for listening. Make sure to submit your double redo choices to us uh, and some of the places we'll firmly establish here for feedback and stuff. But uh, before we get out of here and do our picking for next week, stay tuned for that. We have uh, some people we want to thank, like Chris Oliver for the intro and after music used in our show. Listen more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Uh, thanks to Christian Thor Lally for our artwork. Uh, follow him at Night of Water. That's Night with a K underscore of underscore water for more of his great stuff. And uh, thank you to our Patreon supporters on patreon.com slash tedbpod, where for just $1 a month, you all get to uh, vote in polls for movies we cover and uh, also listen to bonus podcasts that we release out. And uh, this week that we're putting out this episode, you'll be able to vote on a couple bad choices uh, for Adam. Uh, we're doing an episode next month about movies about movies. And Adam has two bad choices that he wants you to pick between. It's uh, yeah. Cecil B. Demented versus Bowfinger. I hate both of them, so either way, lose-lose. I haven't seen Cecil B. Demented, but I remember liking Bowfinger. God, Cecil B. Demented is such dog shit. It's so bad. <laughs> it's so fucking bad. But uh, you all get to vote between uh, which one of those. If you're a patron, an edgelord, as we call them, for just $1 a month, you get to vote in polls like that. Um, and uh, for more of us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod. And you can submit feedback there or to our email, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com. I'll spell it out. And uh, for more of me, find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Not the Who's Tommy. I also do some writing at marianitomas.wordpress.com and over at film-cred.com. And I want to shout out that I was a guest on a podcast recently. Uh, a friend of the show, uh, Sean Alexander, who's like a fan, listens to stuff, uh, allowed me on his show, Sivako, The Road to Avatar, which is about the James Cameron movie. And uh, we talked about the perceived cultural legacy of Avatar. It's a fun discussion. I recommend you all listen to it. I mean, that's really cool that you got to do a guest spot. I mean, if I was on that and we were talking about the cultural legacy, it would just been like a lot of because <laughs> I can't stand that fucking movie. But that's cool. You got to do it. I didn't get to, I didn't listen to it yet. I, I do plan on it. Pretty fucking, pretty fucking legit, Thomas. 
but you can find me, uh, you know, on Instagram and, and Facebook, and that's pretty much it. I'm not on Twitter anymore, and probably get off Instagram soon, probably get off Facebook, and then just bury me like Megorium. Well, you are also on Letterboxd, aren't you? And you're at least there. I am there. Uh, yeah, under Schwanson, that's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S-O-N. But now because of Megorium, I pronounce it Schwanson. <laughs> Fucking Murray. Mr. Megorium, the curse that forever plagues this Forever. Story. The forever. ghost that haunts us, Mr. Megorium. <laughs> yeah. And uh, for more of us, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on Talk Film Society, why not listen to all the other great shows on there? And uh, you can also listen to our archives and our Podbean main feed for like about 200 episodes from before we even joined Talk Film Society. And nothing else, if you can't support us, you know, on the Patreon, money can be tight. The free way to help us out is to simply rate, review, or share the show around because it gets us more visibility. Yeah, we like doing this show. We want more people to listen to it. We want more people to give us money. So go ahead. At least I do. I don't know. Thomas is rich. <laughs> not after all that money I put into annihilation. <laughs> yeah, nope. yeah, not after the annihilation money. <laughs> nope, that dried up. <laughs> and, uh, you know, before we do our picking, I just wanted to bring this up here. Um, our last episode was recorded a bit in advance, so it was right before. A lot of fucked up things just happened with the Supreme Court. Um, and we just wanted to say that we're firmly against uh, a lot of the decisions that were made about Roe v. Wade and that are continuing to be made about other things, quite frankly. So uh, we're just going to put a link here in the description uh, for the um, National Network of Abortion Funds. That's uh, abortionfunds.org. Um, it's a site that uh, I've donated to, and I think it's the best, from what I've heard, at least the best resource for donating to certain um, abortion clinics that aren't as well-funded. Like, even a Planned Parenthood, a lot of people have been donating to that. From what I've heard, those places are a lot more funded, a lot more well-funded. And this one um, actually kind of spreads out the donations to various different places across the country uh, to help out people. Because um, I think it's an important thing, because I think we're, we're both firmly kind of uh, in a state of disarray. About what's been going on recently? Uh, yeah, hundred percent. I'm not going to sit here and and really get into it as a male, but I just firmly believe that you know all rights, especially women's rights, should be protected. And and what's happening is disgusting. And it's yeah. uh, it could be the start of you know something very very terrifying that happens. But just you know, everybody's body is their own. Nobody has a right to tell them what to do with it. Yeah, so de- definitely, if you have that vested interest as well, hopefully you do, please consider donating if you have anything available to give. Please. Thank you, guys. Well, now it's time to do our picking for next week's episode, where basically, if you're new, every week, Adam and I each have uh, either two good or two bad movies. We switch up on the quality for that, and we assign numbers between 1 and 10 for them, and thus, uh, well, whoever uh, the other person picks, uh, you know, a number, say, like, 6 is uh, whatever that number is closest to in terms of the two picks the other person has. That's what gets us our good and our bad feature for the next episode. And uh, keep in mind, we also have this thing called the Godfather Rule, where Adam and I can each uh, potentially have this uh, veto in our back pocket we have to use for between now and May of next year. And uh, we have this veto that if we hear, like, say, oh, I'm going to go with number six, oh, that's closest to blah, 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 as a choice, we can say, you know what, actually, I'll take the cannoli. Unless uh, that choice is gone, we have to go with whatever other alternate choice that person had. Which could happen with our picking for next week's episode, which is about our 2022 check-in. We like doing this every year. We're midway through the year. We uh, look back at what movies have come out so far in the first six months or so of the year. And I'm very curious uh, to see where this goes, because we already know one of the picks, Adam. 
one of yeah. your good picks, which was chosen by our patrons over at patreon.com slash pod, who uh, did a poll and voted, and this is exempt from any kind of, uh, you know, Godfather rule shenanigans, where you're going to go with their choice between uh, you had Fresh and the ultimate winner, Ambulance, the Michael Bay picture, which I'm kind of surprised won, but I'm very glad. I'm very excited to talk about that movie, because I've seen it, it's a lot of fun. Are you excited about this, Adam? I'm interested in this. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, obviously I wouldn't put it up as one of my choices if I wasn't curious about it. I hope it's what I think it is, just as down and out Michael Bay action spectacle. And if that's what I get, I'm super happy. Yes. We'll talk all about that next time. But Adam, I still got my two bad picks. I have a time yeah. number two, one and ten for each of them. So please pick number two, one and ten. All right. Let's just go straight up number ten. Okay. At number nine. I have um, a movie that was kind of infamous more for the off-screen romance that this couple had and then completely dissipated before the movie ever came out after a long oh, delays. Oh, no. I have the Anna de Armas, Ben Affleck erotic thriller, Deep Water. Oh, fuck. Um, you could take the cannoli if you want, Adam. Do you want to take that cannoli? No, I'm not. And the only reason is because knock, knock. So, <laughs> so I'm going to stick with it. All right, we'll go with it. Well, on the other side of things, over at uh, number three, I had um, a movie that was like the first release theatrically this year that I heard uh, nothing but pretty bad things about. I had the 355, the spy thriller. Oh, fuck. Yeah, no, no interest. Okay, so I'm glad with what we got. Okay, so oh, yes, yeah, so deep water and ambulance. <laughs> another one of our fun double features we'll talk about next time you know an ambulance in deep water is a tragedy <laughs> but with years of difference comedy tragedy yeah. turned to comedy yeah <laughs> and well now it's uh, time we do end the show Adam and I guess are, are you going to be leaving and gifting me the podcast is that what's going to happen now and I'm going to live 243 years doing this show yeah pretty much Pretty much, and we're just going to get some random weird kid that likes to wear hats to be your co-host. Oh, oh boy, I can't wait. It'll be so awesome, him with his fucking And he's going to die, and you're still going to be alive, so it's going to be mentally scarring for you. Probably, yeah. The heavens, the Murgatroyd. (laughs) 